Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Hello and welcome to boarding party brought to you by sci-fi wire i always forget to say that but it is in fact brought to you by sci-fi wire i'm your host jackie jennings and if you didn't already know boarding party is a podcast where i talk to the funniest comedians working or you know depending on like what's going on in their lives maybe they're not working but they're still the funniest comedians around and we talk to them about their geek obsessions that they're smuggling around in their hearts and maybe into their comedy and sometimes it's not so secret. It's pretty obvious, like it is in the case of today's guest, Brennan Lee Mulligan. Brennan is the dungeon master on a very popular series on Dropout called Dimension 20. So if you are at all into D&D, you probably know exactly who Brennan Lee Mulligan is. He's going to be here talking to us about his love of improv comedy, where we met taking classes and being teachers at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater, and also about Dimension 20 and D&D and his lifelong love of RPGs and LARPing and playing all of those games with his friends and how it's impacted his life. So definitely stay tuned, because guys... It's real fun. I record these after I have the conversation, and this is a good one. So you're not going to want to stop listening now if you've made it this far. Brennan, I'm so glad that you could be here to talk. I'm so glad that I could be here to talk. This is so fun. I feel like it's very, uh, we're having a conversation in like our official capacities with like sci-fi and college Mm. humor. But Jackie and I have known each other for years and years and years. For years. We were just reminiscing about the years that we've known each other. Exactly. Uh, We were both uh, improvisers and performers at the Upright Citizens Brigade in New York for a a long, long time. And I'm in LA now, but we knew each other back in the, the basements and the grungy sofas of yes. the improvisers playground that was New the York. The basement days. We'll call it the basement years. The basement years. My yeah, God. Beautiful. Of both us and UCB. Yes, exactly. Yes. You and I both, but more importantly, you have are, are a comedian specifically with a massive background in improv. Yes. Fair to say. Yes. No, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, so like to go through my sort of improv pedigree to reach the yes. place now where I'm working, uh, now working at College Humor and Dropout and doing Dimension 20 and the other stuff. Uh, I started at a very early age. So my actual, where I cut my teeth as like a kid was doing improv and uh, role playing at a live action role playing summer camp called the Wayfinder Experience. So yes. your boy LARPed and honestly continues to LARP to this day. I'm going and working there a week this summer. I take vacation time from work to go work at my old LARP camp. Yeah. So this is something I want to <laughs> dive into because I know, I know. And I, I was, you were saying before, this is, I think, one of the first conversations we ever had was in the UCB teacher's lounge we were both teachers for uh an undisclosed uh, however long years probably and i think being a teacher at ucb is one of those things where you stay a teacher forever even if you don't have active classes yes you're never not it's like the skull and bones you (laughs) (laughs) they they brand you you're a teacher for life yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> that's you can always sort of go back and say mm-hmm. please. Yeah, we have our sort of ceremonies and rituals that we do yeah. in the woods at night. And yes, then, yes, yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. We all get it. Um, so I remember having this conversation with you or hearing about or something. Like there, there was some conversation. So usually I ask guests which came first, your improv or comedy geekery or your obsession with whatever genre thing you're obsessed with. And I feel like for you, they are one and the same. Is that? That is 100% yeah. okay. accurate. I came to improv with a lot of improv experience that I never would have thought of as being classical long-form improv. I started playing Dungeons & Dragons when I was 10 years old. I started LARPing when I was 11. And by the time I was in my early 20s, I went to school for philosophy first, and then I went to school for screenwriting. But by that time, my professional life was, I was like writing, I you know, was like one of the primary story writers for this live-action role-playing summer camp. I was like head writer for a couple summers. Uh, uh, I was running years-long games of D&D. So this idea of like spontaneous, creative, improvisational role-playing, that was like my hobby and it was this weird thing where i would say that um comedy performance wasn't the the goal like the high i was chasing was not oh let me go be funny it mm. was just straight nerdy make believe like yeah. that's what i was going after um and i spent many years doing that and weirdly by the time i got to new york what prompted me to start going to ucb was that i had graduated from college I was bartending. I was broke. I had like, you know, I had like weird dental stuff and medical debt. And it was like, oh, I'm kind of kind of spiraling out here, like yeah. flailing a little bit. And it was this thing where like, yeah, I had the screenwriting degree. I know how to write screenplays. Nobody knows who I am or cares to read something I've written. So I went to UCB very much as this kind of gleaming beacon of I'm going to meet someone here. Uh, you know, I I just need to find my people. 10-year-old Brennan decides he's going to go to Wayfair? Uh, Wayfinder. Wayfinder. So a lot of this was due to the fact that, like, even as a teeny tiny little youngster, I was nerdy enough. I was such a strong cup of tea that even children with, like, juice on their hands were like, fuck this kid. (laughs) Wait, can you curse on the podcast? Yeah, for sure. Good, good, good. Uh, like, I would roll up to recess and be like, slides, swings, cool. I'm going to sit under a picnic table and memorize animal fact cards. Yep, yep, yep. And the other eight-year-olds were like, unacceptable. <laughs> what are you, what you're doing right now is school. You're okay? doing school at playtime. Yeah. And I was like, these gray wolf facts are not going to memorize themselves. I've got to commit this. If not me, who? If not me, who? Uh, they have to be memorized. <laughs> so. Yes, I relate to this very much. Recess, ooh, yeah. Brutal. Yeah. A real crucible for some kid, you know? Truly. Uh, uh, so I got taken out. Uh, the The bullying picked up to a certain point where it was I was no longer safe at school. And so I got actually oh, taken Jesus. out of school and was homeschooled for four years from the age of 10 to 14. And during that time, uh, my mom was basically like, OK, this is this is a rough patch that could go south so we're gonna find and my brother was homeschooled as well uh uh so she found a group of D players because she was like i think this would be good for you because as nerdy as D is it's also inherently social very social 
Yeah. You're, it, the way I like to describe D&D to people that have never played before is this is not really a game. It is a collaborative storytelling uh, exercise with your friends that has a game sewed into it and throughout it. Yeah. So there's this gamified element of a story you're telling together, and then you're combining that with some gambling about the stakes and moments of dramatic tension, and then snacks and hanging out. Yeah. And that's it. Even if you're playing over Skype or you're using some kind of like, you know, D&D Beyond style application, the point is that the game is these direct connections with people, their creativity, even the person who's like the dungeon master who's like setting the difficulties of certain tasks and sort of refereeing. It's still a friend whose personality you know and love. Yeah. And so this whole world is built out of this collaborative sense of what's cool, what's fun. Uh, so it was a huge boon to myself at a young age to have that game and to at a time when I had had a really difficult chapter of my life with socializing sort of bringing me back to realizing like, oh, especially also I think young boys, there's this, you know, hormones are kicking in and you can have these weird antisocial tendencies build up and suddenly to be like, oh, when I do weird antisocial shit in this game, my friends get mad at me and then I have yeah. a bad time and it's like hard pro-socializing reinforcement. Yeah. It's like, no, work together and this gets easier. Be a dick and this gets harder. Yeah, and, and, and nobody likes it. Nobody likes it. It's the funniest thing in the world whenever you play with new people for the first time and someone tries to be a dick, they're like, I'm going to steal from people. And 10 out of 10 times, it's like, okay, we spot you, we're mad at you. And the person's like, people are mad at me? <laughs> and you're like, yeah, you've you've yeah. displayed antisocial behavior yeah people are upset you're kind of wrecking it for everybody yeah that that is um i mean i don't want to make a connection where it doesn't exist but that does feel a lot like improv where sure you can undermine the whole scene and throw away everything that we've carefully structured for a cheap laugh but we all are really gonna fucking hate you backstage afterward <laughs> like yeah you got your cheap little laugh when you walked on and said oh uh, why are you pretending this barn is the moon you know but like man you just pissed off seven people a lot yeah like, i mean a million percent at the heart of every like moral ethical and political belief i hold is the idea of like interconnectivity and it's like hey isolation is uh, an illusion. We're all on spaceship Earth. We're all fundamentally attached to each other. And I don't think it's an accident that every one of my favorite activities is fundamentally about interconnectedness. It's the D&D. LARPing was the same. Right after I started doing D&D, I got uh, uh, my folks dropped us off at this LARP camp, which is also all about shared communal improvising and role playing. And then you go and do comedic improv, and it's very much the same thing. It's mm -hmm. like this, this powerful attitude of look what we can make together. Um, and I think that that uh, pro-social communal force is really powerful. It's very funny because I think that comedians are naturally irreverent and are kind of yes. like are kind of like I don't want to like oversell. Let's all let's all be humble and pragmatic about this. But it's very funny because having taught a lot of improv classes, when you see people, whether it's D and D or LARPing or improv come to a space where they're feeling people lift up their idea and make it work. It's, I can't tell you how many like improv one ones I taught where like first day people are like, Oh, this is a little awkward. Like what we have to do zip, zap, zap and yeah. like make funny noises. And you get to session eight at the end of the week and people are like, 
I felt so alone in New York and I found my people. Yes. And you guys are really... It's powerful. We're going to be friends forever. We're starting a team. And some of them aren't. Like, they're, yeah. I have taught classes where they are still on teams together. And I haven't taught a class in like three years. Yes. And they're still performing. I mean, it is true. It's where you can find your creative partners, collaborators. I want to, though. Okay. So, 10 year old Brennan, he goes to uh, camp. I can't picture what a day at a D&D or LARPing camp looks like. Sure. So yeah, like what what is that? Okay. Um you wake up in the morning, it's there's bunks, there's tents, uh uh you know, depending on the land that you're at, you know, in later years we mostly did stuff with like cabins and bunks. Okay. There were some there was some sort of DIY early days when I was a kid where there was lots of like tenting, there was no official so buildings. So this was camping. Camping. Really what you have to think about it is Take your classic idea of a summer camp. Yes, the parent trap. Done. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Great. Take away all of the money and resources from it because there's okay. no like church funding it or anything. <laughs> okay, yeah. It's just some hippies who like fantasy in the woods of upstate New York. So extremely DIY. Um, uh, although again, recently we were a lot more officially like, after years of yeah. the camp doing it, and the camp's also being run by really great people right now. So now it's like these kids are sleeping in beds and they're in bunks, and it's a lot more. They they don't know the rough old days like <laughs> yeah. we had it. Um, but it really is a camp thing of like meals together. Uh, most of the time you're not in character. Like I would say in a week long uh, intro camp, we would have uh, a full week of camp. And the time where we're doing the LARP was like four or five hours on Wednesday night and another four or five hours Thursday during the day. It would be clearly delineated. This is this is sp- meal time. And now we are beginning. This- now we're beginning. Yeah. So you'd think like for, for intro players, we would over the first couple days, we would have like a world background. And then we're going to have like character generation. We're going to come up with your characters for the LARP we're going to do. And then on Tuesday, we're going to do like intro to the magic system. We're going to talk about like, oh, how are we going to, how are we going to do the rules of like, what does it mean to cast a spell on somebody? How are we going to work that out in the game? Well, how's our sword fighting going to work? Right. Um, But then also interspersed in all of that is like, we're going to go hang out at the lake or like, so yeah. Okay. So there's like camp camp activity. So it is like a, I don't want to say theme, but, yeah, a camp where it's like this is our primary activity, but then we'll we'll break it up throughout the day and do exactly. Something. And it. a lot of things would also be flavored. So we do capture the flag, but our capture the flag has sword fighting. Mm-hmm, so it's mm-hmm. like we're still doing this very campy activity, but we're adding this fantasy. You know, like all right, we're fighting with swords to go get the flag now. So uh, extremely fun, and and much like you know most other camps, like our activities were extremely nerdy but the thing that kept bringing people back was like oh my best friends from camp are going to be there and the community that people form and um uh it's really awesome that it's just you know i made friends for life there just this last weekend i went and a lot of my old camp friends now have kids and you know they're talking about when their kids get old enough they're going to send them back to camp and it's extremely cool yeah so uh, mom had a hunch she was correct (laughs) It worked out. Mom nailed it. Yeah. Uh, mom, mom really Mom really nailed it. <laughs> Is she ever like, hey, you know your whole career? Yeah, <laughs> I did that. Like, you know? It's good for re- mom. Because, you know, sometimes their hunch of what a 10-year-old might like is way off it's way off my mom is like bullseye and then split the arrow in the bullseye (laughs) with another arrow in the bullseye (laughs) it's true of any like career trajectory you know if i'd taken a left instead of a right if she'd just been like you know maybe i'll sign him up for insert literally any other activity here yeah 
who knows? Who would I be? Yeah. Because that is so, a, a regret of mine is never having found D&D or LARPing or anything like that at a young age. Because I do think it would. And I thinking back there, it must have been happening around me. I was involved in enough theater and enough like t- other sort of adjacent nerdy things that for some, I don't know if it's being, you know, male or female, boy, like a little boy yeah. versus little girl where it was just like, well, it just wasn't really for, you know, marketed toward or targeted at girls. But yeah, now I'm like, fuck, I would have had so much fun doing yes, that. Absolutely. Well, first of all, I think that's very true, which is that, you know, my mom, she was a comic book writer for a long time. Actually, yeah. she was a comic book writer. My mom is Elaine Lee, who she fucking blazed a trail through a landscape that was, and to this day still can be, very toxic towards women. So sure. she had done a tremendous amount of work to like establish herself in that space. So for her, she had like, in terms of nerd culture, had her sea legs underneath her to the point where she could look at her little son and be like, d is going to be great for you. Yeah, she knew it. She yeah. knew it, right? Uh, uh, but these spaces have historically been very toxic and gatekeepy and exclusionary to women, to POC, to people LGBT community, like a lot of people. And I think now you're just starting to see... Um, both as from an official stance of Wizards of the Coast and also the community writ large coming out and saying, let's tear these gates down. This game is for everybody. Yeah. Um, so I think that you're absolutely right to think like, oh, like, you know, maybe there was a game I could have gotten invited to and I didn't because it was a more hostile landscape back in the day. And it's our job now as people that play this game and especially people that play it visibly to make sure everyone knows that no one should be keeping you out of this game. It is for you. If you're listening to this, it is for you. Yeah. Yeah, Totally. So did you have the same feeling of instant connection or, uh, well, you didn't say that, but I'm assuming once you started playing D&D, were you like, ah, this is it? Yeah. I mean, well, what's bizarre, my mom loves to tell this story. She just repeated it this last weekend. I was upstate for uh, my cousin's wedding. And um, she was saying uh, the very first day I played D&D, it went fucking terribly it was so bad I, I played as a player a couple of times the first time I was DMing I was running a game I had six of my friends come over and I ran this game uh, my adventure was bad it was not fun and they didn't listen and wouldn't pay attention because we were all 10 right so and at the end of the I got so frustrated and sad and at the end of the day I looked up at my mom and I went this was the most stressful day of my life <laughs> as I was 10 and can't take it. And then I scheduled another game for the next Saturday. So I think what it is is it's this weird thing where it's like, okay, so it was miserable, but I was like, I'm going to do it again next week. Put me back in. Put me back Put in. Put me right back in. So there was something about it that I, th- it's it's one of those weird things where when you talk about clicking with something, there's the clicking of like, oh my god, this was so fun. We have to do this again. And then there's the clicking of like, this is for me. Yeah. I yes. have to keep doing this. I- I was going to ask, and I will still ask, if you had the same feeling when you took your first UCB class. But I had that. Ex- I've had that experience trying stand up, yeah. where I've the minute I tried improv or even saw improv, I was like, oh yeah, that is exactly what I want to be doing. Trying stand up, I was like, that high you're all talking about? I don't feel it. <laughs> like, I'm okay not doing this again, which is fine. Like, yeah. you know, that's 
different things please different people. But I'm curious if you when you first tried improv, because you said you kind of came at it not necessarily for improv. Yeah. So I have a lot of comedians in my family, my dad as a stand up comic. And um, it. so I've always had comedy around and I can't explain what like there was just no part of me that was like when I was going to college or when I was in my very early 20s that was like, you know what I have to offer the world is that I'm funny. I should do yeah. that should be my thing that I do. My thing was about being a writer. I was like, oh, I'm going to be a writer. I'm going to you know make stuff up. And um so that was what my focus was. And then I went to UCB as just like, this is kind of the creative mecca in New York at this time. This is where I can meet people to collaborate with and to form uh, relationships with. And we had done short form improv exercises at Wayfinder. It's kind of funny. Our entire improv curriculum at Wayfinder is based on like whose line is it anyway style short form sure. games. And we do that to prepare you for four hour serious dramatic LARPing, which that curriculum's a little wacky, but uh-huh, it's uh-huh. what we've always done. And yeah. so I had like always done improv games and without without patting myself on the back too much, I always enjoyed doing the improv workshops and like enjoyed making people laugh while doing them and was like oh like and i also like used to run mafia and ran a very like highly improvisational mafia love mafia yeah where people were like oh like brennan's really good at running mafia he'll do like funny voices and stuff it was like yeah this is great i'll like so when i went to ucb i wasn't anticipating being bad at it it was more like showing up being like okay so I guess the only point here is to be funny. I'm not trying to like tell a good adventure story or do anything else. I'm just here to be funny and started taking classes and immediately enjoyed. I'm trying to think of like an analogy for it of like, I was immediately like, Oh yeah, this is totally an addicting high. Yeah. But it was just this weird thing of like, maybe it's because my dad was a comedian and I was like, Oh, well I'm not going to do what my dad did. That's not what this is for. That's not what this is for. And then I went there and I went through the classes and I was very lucky because basically right when I graduated 401 and got into advanced study and I was, I had a little bit of money from being a bartender and I was like, this is not going to last forever. So I'm going to just go through every single class. Uh, I got into advanced study and I was very fortunate that the year I was the first year I was eligible to audition for a house team was the year the beast opened up and 32 new slots opened on Lloyd. So in this, in this moment where a huge vacuum opened up for new house performers, I came in and, you know, me and uh, Joey price was in a similar boat uh, uh, to me of, you know, we had burned through all the core classes in one year and miraculously, and this is not something any, you'd be totally foolish to, to, anticipate this happening got on a year after we had started taking classes i want to take a quick break and then we'll come back and talk a little more specifically about dimension 20 dropout all the fun stuff you're doing hell yeah sounds great carmax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you because at carmax we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car you should love your car that's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hey, 
Okay. Um, so, Brandon, let's talk specifically about Dimension 20. Could you, if I'm sure that you can, but if you had to summarize it for someone or explain to someone who's never seen it, doesn't know what you're talking about, how would you do that? Cool. So here's what Dimension 20 is. Dimension 20 is a show where we actually play Dungeons and Dragons. So the term for that that gets used in nerdy spaces is it's an actual play show. Mm -hmm. That means that the content of the show is us telling a cool story using D&D as the medium, right? Our show is an anthology show. So every single season, we do a new world with new characters in a new place. Uh, so Dimension 20 is the name of the overall show, and every season has a subtitle. So the very first season we did was Dimension 20 Presents Fantasy High, cool. right? Uh, fantasy High, our first season, uh, was a story set in a fantasy world, but at a high school. It was basically our theme was what if John Hughes ran a game of D&D? Mm -hmm. Breakfast Club meets high fantasy, right? So it's me as the dungeon master, and then it's our six players are Brian Murphy, Emily Axford, Lou Wilson, Siobhan Thompson, Zach Oyama, Ali Beardsley. And they play this group of freshmen uh, that are their first year at an adventurer's high school, right? Uh, so when you tune into the show, what you're seeing is you're getting kind of two different levels of entertainment at the same time. You're getting the story of these six characters. But because we're playing the game live at the table, you're also kind of hanging out with us playing at the table together. Yeah. So you're experiencing the story as we are. And because uh, tabletop role playing games are improvisational and they're a collaboration between, you know, kind of the world of the dungeon master and then the heroics and actions of the PCs, we're discovering the story along with you as we play. Uh, so Dimension 20 is a actual play show it's us actually playing the game we are playing as much by the rules as i think you know most tables play by which is to say like 99 percent by the rules and then us going oh that's pretty fucking cool let's yeah. do that um we are also all comedians um so the game i would say within the actual play space is a little bit shorter you know like our our longer seasons are 17 episodes episodes are about you know an hour and a half to two hours mm -hmm. long so all things considered, our first season clocks in somewhere around 30 hours. So kind of similar to like a, a season of television, right? Yeah. It is a little bit like our goal is like it's funny, but it also has a lot of heart. And our seasons are uh, a commitment where you can get a finished story. Mm -hmm. Like you come in. You know, we, do, we just did an awesome side quest season called Escape from the Blood Keep, which Escape from the Blood Keep is basically a parody of what happened from the bad guy's point of view at the end of Lord of the Rings. Like, Lord of the yes. Rings is a drama from the good guy's point of view because they know they have the ring. From the bad guys, they're like, we're about to win. <laughs> Boom. What the fuck happened? What happened? <laughs> what? Oh, my God. <laughs> Ah! So it's basically the six generals of Zaulnaj, who's the Lord of Shadows, <laughs> and he blows up in the first episode, and they all go shit, and then have to like what now? What now? And the, and the whole episode, it's only six episodes long, so it's six episodes of them going what the fuck now, right? Uh, so our deal is to tell really funny but also compelling and heartfelt stories uh, uh, within playing this game of D and D that resolve after a sort of shorter number of episodes. So, you know, what we're doing differently is, again, like, we're this anthology show. We go to new worlds all the time. We have our original cast that comes back for full seasons, but we also have these great side quests where we get fun new guest players in. Uh, and then we do these rad, short, kind of bite-sized little comedy series. Yeah. It is 
inherently very funny because there's very funny people playing. It's also fun to like in knowing a little bit. Like I know Emily a little bit, know Siobhan a little bit. It's knowing them, but also throughout the course of the episode of the season, seeing their personalities yes. as well. So knowing when, like, for example, Emily's, for example, for example, excuse me, Emily's <laughs> fucking with you, you know, and like, oh, yes, you know, like that oh, kind yes. of stuff happens all the time. And it's extremely funny because, you know, like she's not going to let this go. You're going to have to just it does feel like it's operating on two levels. It's so Emily is one of the greatest D&D players in the world. She is so funny and creative. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing is like uh, Emily gets it's definitely like her stuff like is known for fucking with me at the table. Uh, but she also takes the most copious notes. Like Emily is the most into it. She yeah. is like and she solves my riddles and shit all the time. She like remember details right. and stuff. She's great. But she definitely will like throw curveballs and it's, <laughs> it's I honestly love it because there's some biologist definition of what play is, which is like, which is like, oh, play is creatures exhibiting mastery of their capabilities, which I love as a biologist. Mm. Defi- it's like, oh, birds love to fly as hard as they can fly. And when they yeah. do those little loops, they're like, they're like, oh, I'm the best at flying. I'm the best at flying. <laughs> Emily's uh, curveballs that she throws at me are very fun because I'm like, huh, am I going to be able to fucking hold <laughs> on to the reins here? So it's like, or does she have them now? Or does she have them now? It's like, oh, in our high school fantasy game, your character refuses to go to high school yep. in the first five minutes of the game. Yep. All right, Mulligan, let's see. What, okay. what, what are we going to do here? It's um, great. It's great. So what is the process like if you were to take us? I mean, do you do you sort of operate on, I guess you can't really, but do you operate on a season episode to episode do you does everyone sit down and think about it are you sort of sitting down and thinking about it and everyone is coming in uh, with what information they have in the game and that's it. Yeah. Yeah, like what is it what does it look like? So basically I prepare the campaign setting, the world s- some of like a plot hook but often often with the longer seasons I won't even do a plot hook because I'll just be like let's just make a very rich world and I'll mm-hmm. take care of the plot elements once we actually start playing. Um, and when I have my world ready I will actually go and we'll have a character generation day. I will go to the cast and we'll get them all together whether it's a side quest or whatever else and I'll go here's the world here's all the information about what's going on here and the kind of stuff you can be and then I'll also usually take some time because we're doing it for cameras to be like and here's what I kind of think the game is to use UCB terminology here you know here's what I here's where I think the comedy is going to come from you know with fantasy high it's like can we hit breakfast club and classic D&D tropes at the same time. For Escape from the Blood Keep, it's like, what are the elements of evil in like classic Middle Earth shit that we think is really ripe for parody? Yeah. Uh, uh, how, how do you do like an office workplace comedy with the forces of evil, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that is often really fun too, to be like, here's not only the kind of dry informational world background stuff, but here's like, the vibe I'm going for. And in terms of tips to like DMs listening to this at home, people that want to run games, I think something that people often leave out is they'll only do the dry goods kind of like, here's the names of the countries, here's the classes you can be, here's the town you're starting in and that's it. Rather than like, here's the vibe and the tone I'm going for. Here's kind of the mood that I think, because I think when you're making a character, that sets you in place a lot more. Yes. Even simple details of like, this is a... um, this is a more conservative area of town or this yeah. stuff where you're like, ah, I can 
relate that to something I already know. Yeah. Um, it's it's an archetype, for lack of a better word, but in a setting as opposed to just a person. Absolutely. And I think when people say, like, okay, we're going to do this fantasy thing, this is a lot more dark, scary, spooky fantasy. People go, yeah. God, it, my characters are going to be a little bit more grim. Or you're like, this is pulp, high action fantasy. Yeah, and you're yeah, like, yeah. cool, got it. So we sit down and do that. Um, we'll make those characters. Then after they make those characters, I go to work with the people. I have like the best fucking team in the world, people to work with. We've had a, a, some, a lot of great producers on the show. The one that's been on with for the last couple seasons has been Ebony Harden. Mm -hmm. Ebony's great. She's a, a pro and starts getting our stuff lined up for those shoot days. I work with Rick Perry, who is He's our production designer who made, I mean, what sets Dimension 20 apart to me is like, we have these custom made sets and minis. Yeah, they're insane. He's a he's a true wizard, and his whole team are are, are geniuses as well. Yeah, uh, I watching the first few episodes, I was like, are those CGI? But they're picking them up. Like what? No, no, they're real. Our our props. I don't know why I thought CGI would be like no, a cheaper option. But <laughs> like, it's but no, you're not it's wrong. Like in your hand. Yeah, they look. They're so detailed. Rick, and then the Sabrina, Maxie, Shane, Nate, his whole team is like just incredible artists who do amazing work. Uh, so we start getting to work. You know, I'm working with Rick to basically go like, here's the concept for the fight. Here's the what the here's sort of like the story information. Yeah. How do we make this work? What are the, what are the ways? Because it's sort of when him and me meet, it, it is rubber meeting road. So it's like here's the battle concept. How do we now bring this to life? Right. And then I'm working with Mike Schaubach, who's our director, um, uh, in terms of setting up what we're actually be doing on those days. Mm -hmm. And then we bring the cast in, we do those recordings, we run those sessions, and it's the thing that makes storytelling great in any tabletop role-playing game, which is the player's job is to play their characters as truthfully as possible, to immerse themselves in that world, and those characters are often making very rational decisions about what to do next. And so my job as a DM is to go, cool, I'm going to take your immersed, rational logical character who's doing what they would do and my job is to duck and weave and turn their logical actions into the shape of a story yeah and it is the most gratifying type of improv in the world it is so so fun yeah that's very cool um so we talked we were talking about this i guess throughout we've been hinting at it but it does feel like now and by now i mean the you know probably what past maybe two or three years. So pretty recent, yeah. I think. Um, the D&D, RPGs, LARPing, they've been having, this is a very, um, like it sounds like copy, but they're ha they're having a moment. They're yeah. really popular. There's the McElroy Brothers do the Adventure Zone. Um, you mentioned Critical Role. Obviously Dimension 20 and everything you guys are doing at Dropout. Yeah. Um, do you have any, I mean, I have thoughts. They're pretty loose. <laughs> But like, do you as someone who's been with this world community for a long time, 20 something years, um, I think, I don't yeah. actually know how old you are, but whatever. We don't no, I've been playing for, I'm, I am 31. <laughs> I've been go. playing for 21 years. Yeah. yeah. Do you have a sense of why? We talked a little bit about, yeah, there's definitely parts of our culture that demand some antidote to constantly being like constant distractions constant sort of being plugged into different technological devices and social media so there is this like it's inherently social it requires focus it requires attention there's storytelling but what 
do you think that explains all of it or is there more at work? I think there actually is a perfect storm of multiple factors that you could point to and say, like, I think there's multiple things you could point at and say, this single-handedly could have sparked a renaissance and then all working in tandem explains why it's like so explosive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the credit I will give is, number one, I'll give credit to the designers of fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons, right? Mm-hmm. So D&D went through a redesign and this is, you know, Mike Merles and Jeremy Crawford and a bunch of the whole team over at, at Wizards that designed a system that leaned into the strengths of the game. So 5E greatly reduced complexity and, and crunch, emphasized the degree of role-playing in the game and the story-centric kind of focus to the point where, you know, you can make a D&D character now in, you know, 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Whereas before, character creation took longer. It was like a long process. They just, like, streamlined everything, made the, lack of a better, lack of a better word, the UI got a lot better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really the game focused more on, like, this is something you're playing with your friends. Which is funny because, you know, for, for people that are big, like, number crunchers, optimizers, stuff like that, I think the the funniest thing is by moving away from the crunchier elements of D&D, they actually optimized the game more. Yeah. Because if you look at D&D and you're like, what's the strength of this game? It'll never have the graphics and the the immersivity of... Is immersivity a word? Maybe. Im- Im- yeah. Immersiveness. 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 Immersivity sounds, sounds better. I'm going to go with immersivity. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, add it to the dictionary. Um, <laughs> uh, the immersivity <laughs> of... Uh, uh, a video game, right? I like a beautiful graphic that where you can yes. just get lost in the world. It's never going to have this like, you know, ability of like an MMORPG to like bring you into this massive world if you're all playing at the same time. Mm-hmm. So what's the strength? Well, the strength is that it's your friend refing the game and running this story. And you it can be modified to the tastes of the people at the table. And it is fundamentally social, interactive, and group-oriented. Yeah. So that is the thing in D&D you can't get away from. So designing the game around that and treating it as a strength is the best way to make that game playable, fun, and approachable. So that's one. And then I'd say technologically, uh, live streaming and Twitch. and yeah. And so in this moment where the game suddenly becomes more accessible, you get... Uh, podcasts like The Adventure Zone, right? Um, and, you know, uh, uh, the McElroys. Uh, Griffin McElroy is actually going to be playing with the Fantasy oh, High cast. We're Griffin. doing a live show at RTX cool. in Austin. That was That's be very cool. July 5th. I'm just going to plug that mid show. Do it, do it, do uh, it. <laughs> um, uh, uh, so, The Adventure Zone, right? Huge. Huge, uh, yeah. Critical role. Uh, Matt Mercer, who we had on Escape from the Blood Keep, who is also uh, Earth's you know, loveliest human being. Yeah. Uh, 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 and his incredible cast, right? Uh, on Critical Role. Huge. So at the time where the games got this redesign, you also see these people playing it and all of a sudden this thing that, like you were saying, like it could have been all around you as a kid and you just missed it. Now, if you have even the slightest amount of interest, you can, you can go find see. It. You yes. can find it. I also think this is maybe a, a bit of a tangent because I want to hear if, if there are other reasons what you think they are. But something that really fascinates me and that I love just on a, um, <laughs> I guess on like a personal uh, intellectual victory level is stuff like Critical Role, like Dimension 20, um, like The Adventure Zone, that the sheer length of it defies everything that 
everyone who is making internet content taught uh I'll, I'll say us like so people who were kind of creators i feel like i i worked for um above average where the can which is a sketch website is that what it was <laughs> sure that's what, <laughs> a sketch website wrote, sounds like yeah. a fake website <laughs> like, it was a but yeah it was making you know internet content sketches yeah. videos and the conventional wisdom there everywhere everywhere was it's got to be three minutes long. Like yeah. if it's if it's over three minutes, no one will watch it. It was like brevity, short, short, short. And the fact that these shows exist that are two hours long. Our or, episodes are two hours long. Yes, on the internet. Yeah, I I feel like even five years ago, it would have been you're actually fucking crazy pitching this to me. <laughs> like, right. if you want to do a two hour, oh. You, get out if you had told me three years ago like hey do you think you'll be a professional dungeon master i yeah. would have said why are you trying to hurt my feelings yeah this that is could mean. never happen this is mean what yes. you're doing yeah but it feels so and i i'm curious you know do you think yeah it's it's that the right uh content found the right platform or is it there were all these people out there who were ready for two hour long uh, episodes of a show where people are playing D&D, just nobody thought they existed. Right. Well, I think we have to also look at the fact that often conventional wisdom is bad. It's bad. It's bad. And it feels so good to have all of these really popular things to be like, this, you. it was bad. You're wrong. <laughs> you well, were it's really wrong. funny too because it's like people be like, it's got to be three minutes or less. And I'm meanwhile, I go home at the end of the day and watch 43 minute sketches in a row. And yeah. you're like, no, my, like, people's time People will spend time on something, but I think I also think it comes down to like there's this weird thing in entertainment, in general, and creative pursuits across the board, where nothing is as intoxicating as people just going off and doing what they love. Yep. And so there's this weird element where you have an entire class of people, and I don't want to. I'm, I didn't come here to talk shit, but there's an entire <laughs> there's an entire cla- no. yeah there's an entire class of people who are trying to game out what's next and yeah. they're almost always wrong yes because what's going almost always almost always because what's actually going to happen is that uh someone somewhere is going to do something that authentically has meaning for them yeah. and it's going to take off because it is going to resonate with people yeah. and it will be impossible to predict and a few of people from that class that tries to guess what's going to happen next, a few of them just statistically are going to probably guess that and they're going to go, see, I guessed it. And it's like, no, it's like, you got lucky. You got the, lucky. The main thing is this authentic thing happened and yeah. it was very meaningful to people. People felt like they were, and I think this is part of what resonates um, about watching people playing is I think ultimately you want to feel like you got a little piece of someone, just a little piece of another person that feels authentic or honest, whatever it might be. And that comes in the form of this really fun, engaging story. But I think what you keep coming back, you're like, oh, I got a tiny, tiny, tiny little piece of Siobhan. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, you really do. And I think that's why it's so intoxicating is we're we're on the one level telling this story. And like both the guests we've had on the side quest and especially like... I mean, like the guests we've had on the side quests have been remarkable, and our original cast is amazing. Like, you can't find better storytellers than these, and they commit to these characters in such a way 
all of them and and like watching the stuff they do with their characters and how they grow over the change of the season all of them are geniuses and you're watching that but you're also watching them play a game mm-hmm. and there, there are these moments of like shock and surprise I've like gone online and seen like wow look at that dumb face I made that is genuine <laughs> shock on my face listening I was surprised oh, yeah I I have always tried to make my players cry and I take I, I <laughs> but what's really lovely about the show too is I think that we managed to do something that is that is truly like funny it's like a it's a good yeah. piece of comedy but also like have enough heart that when the stakes get high enough and the danger is real enough and there's real possible loss, we've had characters have really touching moments, yeah. which to me, I always want to go for both of them. I want to get both those brass rings. It's funny and it also means something. I also self-owned in the last side quest. I was trying to make someone cry and I made myself cry. <laughs> <laughs> I blew up my own spot. It was terrible. Well, but in a way, you got what you wanted. It's, you know you what? made someone cry, Brennan. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I got got, and yeah. I got myself. You got got. You got got. It happens. Uh, but I think you're totally right that there is this special thing of finding authenticity and finding something in the people that are playing. It, we don't script this stuff ahead of time. Anything you're seeing us on camera feeling and thinking, that was captured truthfully in the moment. You you are in that sense kind of there at the table with us yeah. as we discover this shit in the moment. Is there anything that you want to plug? You mentioned the show July 5th. Yes. Uh, RTX uh, Dimension 20 cast is there July 5th. We're going to have Zach Oyama, Ali Beardsley, Brian Murphy, Emily Axford, Siobhan Thompson there, and Griffin McElroy is going to be guesting with us. That's Yay. Friday, July 5th at RTX in Austin. Um, you guys can head over to dropout.tv, mm-hmm. sign up for a free trial today. It's free. It's a free trial. Get Go over see there. if you like it. Binge <laughs> the show. Why don't you? Uh, yeah, we have Fantasy High out there. That whole season is on Dropout. Uh, Escape from the Blood Keep also just finished, uh, uh, and that's also all on Dropout. Uh, July 9th, season three starts, Ooh. which I'm so excited to share. We are starting our uh, season three, which is in full season with the original cast, The Unsleeping City. Oh, shit. Magic New York. Which I'm Shut vi- up. It's a D&D game set in modern day New York where magic is real and hidden behind things. So it's like behind the corner, through the shadows. Most New Yorkers don't know it's there, but there's a secret world of magic behind the scenes in That's New York. That's fucking cool. <laughs> I will say, I don't know how I feel about a bunch of L.A. transplants <laughs> doing a New York butt. That is very fucking cool. <laughs> I give it to you. That is cool. I it's my love letter to my yeah, home. Yeah, I miss yeah. it so much. But we, you know what? We'll do a season. We got to get you on the show to come do a magic New York character. Okay, and Who I'll was- sort of be the blousy. I, I all I know is I want to be a fifty year old like kind of salt and pepper elf who yells at people to move onto the middle of the train because that lady is my goddamn hero. <laughs> She's the most magical bitch in She's New York. She's the most magic. Fucking yeah. move. People are trying to There's get plenty on. plenty of room. <laughs> move in the middle. And everyone's like, shut up, but also you're a saint. Also, you're a fucking saint. <laughs> you're yeah. correct. Uh, well, Brendan, thank you so much. All that stuff sounds awesome. Uh, and everyone, yeah, go check it out. What a pleasure to enjoy. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. So, guys, that is it. Check out everything that Brennan mentioned. Be sure to check out Dropout. Check out Dimension 20. And also look for all the shows that he mentioned because they all sound super fun if you're in the area or you are a person who can buy a plane ticket, you know, kind of last minute and be there for the show. That's awesome for you. You should do that. Um, If you're that kind of person, then, hey, why don't you also subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts, be it on Apple, perhaps it's on Spotify, 
at a key food? What? I've never seen them there, but I'll believe it. Sure. You know, I don't look at every aisle. Um, just, just subscribe because we have a whole lot of fun guests coming up and you wouldn't want to miss any of them. So rate, review, leave comments, tweet at us. Do whatever you feel shows your support and is also legal and safe, I would say. Thanks, and we'll see you next week.